what are the following points that should help us be more willing to forgive others? And uh, people have done things to us throughout our lives, just as we have done things to other people. It works both ways, doesn't it? And some things are mild, you know, somebody cutting you off in traffic. Uh, you get upset when, when that happens. You know, I do most of the shopping in our household, go to the supermarkets and such, and get in line with my groceries. And if somebody cuts you off in line, that is aggravating. That is upsetting. And I want to say, excuse me, <laughs> I was there first. You know, and it, some things are mild like that. But then there are other hurts that have gone deeper. And uh, I'm sure many of you remember incidents in your own personal life where you have been hurt or maybe where you have hurt others. But as we study here today, the first factor that I would like you to understand is that forgiveness is based on love. Okay, so we'll talk about the love of God. It's his love that caused him to forgive us. So the main motivating factor that caused God to forgive us was his love. And we know the scripture in John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So it wasn't just a whim of God. He forgave the world of their sins, including you and me, because he loves the world. Now, Scripture tells us that God isn't just a loving being, or he sometimes is lovable. The Scripture says that God is love. God is love. So whenever you love someone, or you love something, or if your dog loves you, that's actually a little piece of God being demonstrated there. You know, I love dogs. I currently have a cat, and I, you know what? I love him too. I've grown to love him. I never used to like cats, but we're best buddies, and I love this animal. It's so different from a dog. But when he shows affection to me, that's something that God put in animals. I think especially dogs and cats and other things too. And when we love our pets, we do anything for them. That's a little glimpse of God in us and in them. Certainly that should be there in the case of our families. We love our children. We would do anything for them. We love our mate. We would do anything for them. That's all based on love, and love is demonstrated in our lives, and when it is, it's God's love being demonstrated in us. You know, uh, I love to, to talk to people. Sometimes uh, I talk to somebody who doesn't believe in God, and they can't understand God. They don't believe in him. Yet I admire when they have been married for 40 years and they love their mate. Or I see them with their pets and how much they love their pets. And I always say, you know, when you love your pet like that, that is actually God. That is the attitude of God. That is the attribute of God. So uh, they think about that. But, you know, God is love, so it's no surprise that love prompted him to send his son to die for the sins of the human race so we can be reconciled back to him. We had been divided from him because of our sins, and through Jesus we're reconciled to a right relationship with him. So 
we as Christians, now I'm not talking about the world right now or those people who are not Christians, you have been given a special tool to forgive others. And what is that tool? It's the love of God that has come into you from the time that you first believed. Notice what it says in Romans 5, verse 5. Now, I can't, uh, you know, preach to the the people out in society and tell them about this. I'm preaching to you. Why? Because Jesus Christ is your Savior, and you have the Holy Spirit. And Paul says here in Romans 5, verse 5, he says, And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love... Okay, the thing that got him to forgive the world for their sins. He has now poured out that same love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. So somebody in the world, I guess, can have the excuse of of not forgiving somebody because, you know, they don't have God's Holy Spirit. I'm not going to expect people who are not Christians to act like Christians. I'm speaking to Christians because I know what you have from God. You have the Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, God has poured out his forgiving love into your hearts. So we have no excuse, do we, when it comes to forgiving somebody? God is love, and he has poured out his forgiving love, the love that caused him to send his son down to this earth to die for us, to reconcile us so that we can be forgiven. This forgiving God has now poured out his love into our hearts. Since we now possess the same godly, godly love by which he forgave, shouldn't we now have the capability and the desire to forgive others? Do we? <laughs> Yes. Help, help me, Lord, to do just that. So our willingness to forgive others is a sign that we not only have the love of God, but that it's working in our lives. You know, when you read the list of the, the fruits of the Spirit, what is the first one? Love. The love of God. It's not just human love. Mere human love, okay, if you're not a Christian and you haven't been given the love of God through the Holy Spirit, mere human love may permit us to forgive those closest to us, like our children, who can't forgive their child when they mess up. You know, I forgive you, son, try harder next time, okay? Mere human love can permit us to do that. But the love of God is powerful enough to motivate us to forgive strangers or even enemies. Think about that. We have no excuse as Christians when it comes to forgiving somebody else. So that's the first point. The love of God, which we all now possess. And we know what the love of God is capable of doing. Okay, the second thing that I want you to, to consider when it comes to the need to forgive others that we need to keep in mind is the fact that we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven. Let's turn to Luke chapter 4. Since we have been forgiven, what should that motivate us to do? Well, as we read last week in the parable of the unforgiving servant, it should cause us to forgive other people because we've been forgiven. Notice something that Jesus said early on in his ministry. Luke 4, 
and beginning in verse 16. It says, He, Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. So what he's going to read here is a prophecy about himself and what he, the Son of God, would accomplish during his time here on earth. Verse 18, this is what he read out of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he rolls up the scroll and all eyes are on him. You know, they're thinking, who is this guy? You know, is this the Messiah that was promised? But he came to proclaim the beginning of the year of the Lord's favor, or in other words, the messianic age. He came as the Son of God, as the Messiah, and he said that during his time here and afterwards, beyond, prisoners would be set free. The blind would receive sight and the oppressed would be released. So we have all been blessed by this, haven't we? Because we were freed from prison. What prison were we in? Well, we were in the prison for paying the penalty for our sins. We were facing death as the penalty for our sins. And by the grace of God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we've been freed from that prison. That death penalty has been taken away from us. Jesus paid it on our behalf. We've also been freed from sinful lifestyles that we were all oppressed by. So he has done that for us. This is the year of the Lord's favor that we're living in now, the, year, the years of Jesus Christ, and we will forever now. But you see, we are now called to release prisoners from debts that they owe us. What debts? When people offend us, when people hurt us, when people do, do things against us. You know, they become our debtors, as we read last week. And they're, in a sense, in prison because we're mad at them. We're offended by them. Uh, we want, perhaps, revenge from them. But you see, we have been freed from that. We have been called now to release prisoners from debts owed to us. And by so doing, we're sharing in the year of the Lord's favor. It's all about Jesus. So again, that's another reason why we should be quick to forgive people. You know, forgiveness doesn't always come instantaneously. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes hurts go deep. Uh, sometimes hurts are long-lasting or repetitive. You know, sometimes you're married to a person who hurts you a lot. Sometimes you work at a place where maybe the boss hurts you a lot or fellow workers hurt you a lot or you're in school where fellow students make fun of you or hurt you a lot. But nevertheless, there is no hurt that God cannot help you forgive. You know, I have seen videos, and you could bring them up on YouTube, on your computer or whatever. Uh, 
I was doing some research for a paper that I was writing on forgiveness. And you can bring up videos of court scenes where members of a family whose loved one was murdered, brutally murdered. Okay, and now they brought the, the, the guilty person to trial. The trial took place. The person was found guilty of taking the life of their loved one. And all of a sudden, they allowed the family to come forward at the end of the trial to have their say. And, you know, in most cases, uh, fights ready to break out. You know, the people want to get revenge against this person who murdered their loved one. But there are videos, real live videos, of people who after the trial is done, you know, they're still mourning the loss of their loved one, and instead of unleashing their anger or threats of retaliation against the guilty person, to the shock of the judge and the jury, they calmly and quietly extend forgiveness to the person. And it just, I mean, the, the audience is speechless. You hear a gasp from the audience. They can't believe that this family who just had their loved one murdered by this person, instead of getting angry and threatening, they offer forgiveness. A response like this is incredible, and it defies human nature. But it's an example of the grace of God being passed along to another. You know, there was a, a British poet many years ago who made this statement, perhaps you've heard it, to err is human, to forgive divine. So we're human. <laughs> we make a lot of errors. We sin a lot. And we have all offended other people. We have all in our lifetime hurt one person or another, sometimes mildly, sometimes uh, more deeply. And we regret those things when we think about them. But God says that we should forgive. And he has given us the wherewithal to do just that. And it's an outstanding example of the grace of God and of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to be able to do something like that. And again, I'm not saying that it's easy. But I'm saying it can be done. And by the grace of God, it should be done. Which brings me to point number three. So we've talked about the love of God motivates us to forgive. The fact that we are forgiven ourselves motivates us to forgive. Third point is we too have caused hurt to other people. I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, just out of the blue, you remember back to the time that you did this or you did that or you said this or you said that. And you think, oh, man, why can't I forget that? Or why does that keep coming back to me? Well, it kind of keeps us humble. And it keeps, us, it keeps reminding us you know, of the fact that we need Jesus as our Savior on a daily basis. When somebody hurts us, we have a tendency to judge and condemn that person for their action. We act as if we're the only person in the world who was ever offended or mistreated it's often helpful as we kind of lick our wounds to consider how we have hurt others and how we have inflicted similar pain into other people's lives. And we've all done it. There's nobody perfect here, and I include myself in that group. We are interdependent beings, and our actions always have an effect on others. 
When we hurt someone, we should understand their pain because we have been hurt in similar ways and have felt similar pain. Therefore, we should want to act with care when dealing with other people. So maybe that's why we remember the stupid things we've done in our lives, to kind of keep us balanced, keep us even keeled. And like I said, it's humbling to remember your faults in the past. And maybe it's a good thing that we remember them for the rest of our lives. We know that they're forgiven, but it should make us careful not to hurt people again. So when we feel hurt, it's because we feel that in some way our personal needs have not been met. Now, I'm, this is kind of the psychology of it. When we feel a hurt because somebody did something to us, we feel that our personal needs have not been met. Our feelings emerge from our needs. So we have certain feelings when our needs are met and certain feelings when our needs are not met. For example, a husband or wife may get angry with their mate because they feel that their need for respect was not met. Problems arise in relationships when we only act with awareness of our own needs and wishes rather than the needs of others. Relational problems are worsened when we don't realize how our needs may affect others in a negative way. A successful marriage is one where both partners put the needs of their mate above their own. This principle can be applied to any relationship. But, you know, I have counseled people over the years who are having marriage problems. And we sit down and we talk about, okay, what do you think the problems are and what the solution might be? And then I say to the other mate, what do you think the problems are and what the solution may be? You know, as a pastor, you never counsel just husband or wife because you hear two different stories. You want to get the people together so they can hear each other clearly, hear what they're saying. And in so many cases, you know, the person starts off by saying, my needs are not being met. You know, whether it's uh, the way my wife cooks, or whether it's sexual needs, or whether it's, you know, uh, how the money is spent, you know, my needs are paramount. My needs are important. And as a minister, you think, okay, well, we'll hold that for a minute. Now we'll talk to you. And then the other mate is talking about her needs and how her needs are not being met. I remember one time counseling uh, this couple in this fine, beautiful place, just short of a mansion. And one of the main parts of the argument or the hurt was they had two cars. They had a Mercedes and a Lincoln. And the, you know, the, the wife was upset because she wanted to take the Mercedes instead of the Lincoln. And, you know, the husband, uh, vice versa, you know, they were fighting over cars, fine, expensive cars. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, I would drive either one of those and I couldn't care less. But it was their personal needs, you know, what comes first for them. But what did Jesus tell us? Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 3. So this applies to any relationship, not just marriage. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 3. He says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. 
Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Don't put yourself first. Don't put your needs first. Don't put your desires first. But put the other person in your relationship first. And you know, I've seen it where marriages were tremendously blessed and long-lasting when both husband and wife had that attitude. But that applies to any kind of relationship that we might have, putting the other person first. You know, if you're uh, working in a job, you want to put your boss first. You want to make your boss look good in everything that you do. It's not all about you, but that has changed totally. Now, most workers today are all about themselves. And as soon as they don't like a little thing that happened at work, they quit and they're off looking for a different job. And it's like a continual searching for the best situation for them. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you don't want to look out for a good income to have to support your family and so on, but it can get out of hand. So Jesus teaches us, and Paul tells us to follow his example. You know, when he came down to earth, he didn't put himself first. Because if Jesus put himself first, he never would have gone to the cross. But he put us first because it was all about bringing about the forgiveness of our sins. So he humbly went to the cross and did what was necessary. So when we look at our relationships and the opportunity to forgive others, remember that you've caused hurts. You know, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, remember that you have cut other people off in traffic, either unknowingly or maybe sometimes on purpose where you know you're in the left lane and you say there's my exit I gotta get over there and before you know it you're cutting somebody off and they're beeping their horn at you sorry sorry this is my exit and they're thinking that you're a jerk and maybe in that case you are because you shouldn't have done that okay but when people do that to us just remember the times that you did the same thing to others the next point Point number four, remember when it comes to other people, our shared status as sons and daughters of God. We all are sons and daughters of God, whether people know it or not, okay? And a lot of times you're dealing with people in society, they don't know it. But we're all children of God made in his image, Christians and non-Christians alike. I love the scripture in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Acts 17 and verse 28. Paul was speaking to an audience in Athens, so he's talking to non-Christians, and to kind of get a point across, he quotes one of their poets. It says in uh, Acts 17 verse 28, For in him, God, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul is quoting the Greek poet Eratus, who believed that all mankind was the offspring of Zeus, a false god. So Paul takes the opportunity to quote one of their poets to kind of build a bond so they'll listen to what he's saying. He borrowed this quote to teach his audience about the true God. 
in our relationship to him. So whether we realize it or not, we are all Christians and non-Christians. We are all children of the Father through Jesus Christ. He reconciled the whole world, didn't he? So we all share in that. We're all brothers and sisters, irrespective of race, ethnicity, or even religious persuasion. Once we come to see that we're in relationship with the rest of humanity, it changes the way we view other people. It should. We realize that, hey, they're made in the image of God just like I am. They are created by God just as I am. So there's a certain brotherhood in that, or sisterhood, or whatever you will. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. Paul says, based on what I just talked about, we're all brothers and sisters of God, so to speak, or uh, sons and daughters of God, rather. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So when you think of other people out there, friends, relatives, enemies, strangers, we all have something in common. We're all children of God in that sense. Now, some of us have come to realize that, and our lives have changed. We've become Christians, and now we live our lives based on that reality. But a lot of people out there don't understand. They don't believe in God, and they don't understand we're all his creation. And Jesus died for all of us. And one final point that I'd like you to consider when it comes to being convinced to forgive others, and it has to do with our ministry of reconciliation. Right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we've been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't end there. Now we preach about other people being reconciled to God and to each other. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So it wasn't just enough for us to be reconciled back to the Father through Jesus Christ. We now have a ministry. We have work to do, and it has to do with reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us, Christians, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, how people can be reconciled to God by repenting and accepting Jesus as their Savior. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we have been given a, a ministry of reconciliation. Not just in our reconciliation to God, but in our reconciliation to one another when the opportunity provides itself. You know, God is all about reconciliation. He's all about mending broken relationships. And he mended the one that we were to have with him that was broken because of our sins. And now he wants us to mend those relationships that are broken between each other. 
So God is all about reconciliation. It gives him joy to see us strive to reconcile relationships with each other that have been broken due to hurts or offenses of one kind or another. What sense would it be to be reconciled to God, yet to live in broken relationships with each other? Forgiving them may give them a taste of what God's grace is like and convince that person that forgiveness for their own sins by God is not only possible, but it's the work has been done by Jesus. He's died on the cross. So, again, a lot of times we kind of gloss over this concept of forgiving others, but it's such a big theme in the Bible. We should forgive others because we have the love of God that enables us to do just that. We have been forgiven, so we should forgive others. We have caused hurt just as people have hurt us. We have all, everybody on the face of the earth, the same status as sons and daughters of God. We're made in his image. And we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. Not just to be reconciled to God, but to tell other people about how they can be reconciled to God and at the same time be reconciled to one another. This is why we don't have peace in the world. People don't understand this. They don't understand who they are. They don't understand what Jesus has done or who Jesus is. And uh, they don't feel the need to be reconciled. They don't feel the need to humble themselves, to put other persons' desires or needs above their own. Because this world is so broken and for so long a time, when people humble themselves, they get stepped on by others. They become doormats for others, whether it's a person or whether it's a country. That's why everybody is so uptight and unwilling to forgive. And when you study the history of wars and violence in this world, it's basically because of a lack or an unwillingness to forgive. And this is really not going to be totally settled or made right until Jesus returns. But we have been given a command by Jesus himself to reconcile these relationships. God's giving, given you everything that you need to do it. And it gives him great joy when we do it. Now, we don't know how the other person's gonna respond. Uh, you know, they may be accepting or they may be rejecting. That you can't control. But God wants to see us put forth the effort to do our part.